Famous, board game podcast that chronicles two brothers as they journey to board game fame. Or it would be, but one of those brothers is on paternity leave. Congratulations, David and Ellen. I'm your host, Michael, and I'm joined by previous episode and new co-host, Jesse. Hey, y'all. It's kind of weird starting this without a howdy howdy from Michael. All right, here's a howdy howdy for old time's sakes. Howdy howdy. (laughs) Very nice, very nice. Thank you. And we start, not as always, but in a very familiar fashion. Hey, Jesse, what you been playing? Well, as summer's been tailing down, I haven't been playing as many games as I had been earlier, but a couple weeks ago I got to get in a game of Ark Nova, which was really exciting. Have you got a chance to play that one yet, Michael? Not yet, not yet. Ark Nova is a game in which you plan and build a modern, scientifically managed zoo to support conservation projects. It is designed by by Matthias Wigga, and yes, his last name is pronounced that way. It's spelled W-I-G-G-E. And the publisher in the United States is Capstone Games. Uh, Ark Nova is currently ranked number seven on BGG, and it's only two spots behind Terraforming Mars, which it is frequently compared to. So what's really exciting about Ark Nova is that you have five actions to choose from on every turn. You can build enclosures, place animals, gain cards, take an association action, or engage with sponsors. And each of those actions becomes more powerful the longer you don't use it because they are in an action river. So as soon as you Mm. use an an action, it becomes very weak and over time it grows to be stronger again. Um, So it's a really crunchy game where you have to decide the right moment to do each of those actions because to be successful, you have all of them. The reason it's compared to Terraforming Mars is that the cards have a lot of icons that are prerequisites. Cards will give you icons that count as prerequisites to help you gain other cards. One other thing that's really interesting and unique to this game is that you have two different victory point tracks that go in opposite directions around the board. One of them is your appeal, which is represented by tickets, and that affects your income. And the other is conservation, represented by shields. And these provide some bonuses, but are essentially VP. Uh, so the end game is triggered when one player's tokens cross paths on those two tracks. And so you can't ignore either of the two tracks. They're both really essential to your game. Uh, my strategy so far has been to play whatever conservation cards are out. And one game I played with all birds. And one game I played with all monkeys. And both games were really exciting. I enjoyed the game a lot more the second time I played it. Um, than the first time. Is that because you understood it better? Absolutely. I understood it so much better the second time. It's a really super game. Uh, It's things I like about it. It's really crunchy. It's competitive. It's satisfying. Uh, The art is way better than Terraforming Mars. Uh, And you are building your own individual zoo, which, you know, if we're comparing it to Terraforming Mars, rather than competing for space on Mars, you're doing your own thing, which is kind of fun and puzzly if you like doing more of a solitaire game is there no card drafting and card passing there's not card drafting in the same way like every turn but there are some cards that are available in kind of a river that you can snap up at any moment if you choose to um you oftentimes can draw off the deck as well some downtimes is that like i said sometimes it feels like solitaire like i'm playing my own game which is okay and it's also very long Which again, like, if you like it, that makes it fun. But I can totally see why this game is ranked number seven. It's a lot of fun, and I can't wait to play it again. 
I might need to add it to my collection. So this is one of the new hotnesses of the past year, and I haven't been able to play it yet. Every single time it shows up at our board game group on Thursdays, I am committing myself to another game. I am still having a great time. There's just too many good games to play. There's just so many games out there. One of these times I need to sit down, especially since I like Terraforming Mars, and the descriptions, while you know, differentiate the game, are sound pretty exciting. Hey Michael, what you been playing? So I recently went to our Thursday board game group, and somebody who made it to Gen Con brought back a few new games, and I got to play a couple. The One of the games I got to play was Paint the Roses, designed by Ben Goldman, with the artist of Jackie Davis. And this is a cooperative puzzle game set in the universe of Alice in Wonderland. You play as a gardener trying to escape the Queen of Hearts. It's kind of hard to describe, but you have a board, which is a hex grid. And around it is the path of which you're being pursued. And the grid starts with eight shrub tiles already filled in on this grid. Now, the shrub tiles have some combination of a suit from a deck of playing cards and a color. Now, each player starts with a secret clue card that says they like either these two colors next to each other, these two shapes next to each other, or any combination of shapes and colors. And what happens is a person, the person who is up, takes a tile from the bank, places it somewhere on the grid next to already tiles that are already there, and then other players place a cube down indicating whether or not that tile that was just placed meets the requirement of their secret card. And this gives you some kind of clues for the other people to guess it. Now there are easy, medium, and hard cards. Easy cards obviously require less cubes being put down for you to gather information to figure it out. Now after everybody's put down cubes indicating whether or not that place tile has some adjacencies that meet their requirement, then you have to guess one of somebody's secret clue card, what it is. So say someone has a color to color clue card, you're just like, oh, I think you want pinks and yellows next to uh, each other. And if you're right, that person reveals their card and on the bottom of that card is a number that says how far forward you get to move. And then if you're wrong, the queen gets to move double her speed, her current speed. Now, the easier cards are easier to get, but you travel less far. And so the hard cards, harder to get, you travel even further. But only one person can have an easy card at a time. After you uh, guess someone's card, it gets discarded and they draw a new card. During that round, you can continue to guess other people's cards. But remember, if you ever get it wrong, the queen moves at double its speed. Does she move her normal speed if you, at no the, matter what? At the end of the round, she'll just move her regular speed if she hasn't moved yet. That's not too harsh of a penalty. <laughs> it's then. not too harsh of a penalty. But one thing to keep in mind is the queen gets faster the longer the game goes on. And the goal of this puzzle game is to be able to fill in every single empty space on the hex grid with these tiles. Did it feel pretty tight? It sounds like it would be a really, like head-to-head race with the queen just staying just ahead of her one thing i like is because the queen's speed 
is slow. You never feel like you're going to lose early. Hmm. But you can't let that lure you into a false sense of security because you really need to take advantage of those earlier rounds and try to get as far ahead as possible. Because in those later rounds, whenever she's faster and you get something wrong, you're, you're talking instead of moving three spaces, she's moving six. Instead of moving four spaces, she's moving eight. That can mm. really catch up on you instead of moving one versus two. So taking advantage of that nice and early is, is really fun. Uh, I'd like to play this game again. It's The concepts were, you know, it was a little hard for some of us to get our grasps on. Oh, one thing that's important, whenever you're discussing it, you can't say anything about your card at all, ever. You can discuss other people's secret cards, but if someone starts discussing yours, you can neither confirm nor deny what they're saying. <laughs> mm, that sounds tough. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was pretty fun. Uh, you can keep in notes of stuff, so it's like... Oh, in this round, I learned this much information, but it's not enough information to actually guess what their card is. So I know this much, and then you go on and so forth. So that was pretty fun. That's nice. I know a lot of gamers don't like games that rely <laughs> heavily on memory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I tried memorizing it for a second. It's like, all right, so this when that tile was placed, you placed this many cubes, and it meant this thing, but uh, this has changed. And then whenever these two tiles were placed, it was like, yeah. As you're describing it, it makes me think a lot about cryptid, like how yes. you're deciphering yes. like what someone else's rule is. Although in that, each person only has one rule. Correct, and uh, well, each person and you're competing. Yeah, and this is, yeah, this is cooperative, and it's a. Uh, it was pretty fun. I'd like to play it again before I give final judgment on it. The other game that I played is another Dune game. You know, the movie came out, so you gotta make 3,000 board games for Dune. How many Dune games are there now? I can name Dune, Dune Imperium, Dune, a game of conquest and diplomacy, that one traitor Dune game, uh, Dune Betrayal, and this new game. Arrakis Dawn of the Fremen designed by a lot of people because I'm pretty sure they credited all the original creators of the original Dune game and same with the artists a lot of artists but it fits that Dune motif pretty good and in this world instead of being the various factions as it is understood in the movie you are all playing various factions of Fremen and if you know anything about the books, the goal of the game is to construct three sieges. A what now? <laughs> three sieges, which are basically villages that are protected in the rocks and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. So it's an area control game where you're shifting control around the desert. Compared to the original Dune game, this is interesting because you're not actually moving an army of forces. The max, um, assuming I understood the rules correctly, <laughs> you can only have one force one basic force per tile showing that you have control of it. And so you're not moving large armies around. But, you know, they can be modified with, oh, this guy, there's also a worm in there. There's also, he has a Chris knife. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And it gives more impact to the influence of the entire area that you control surrounding something that you're interested in. I think it gives it a bit more of a defensive advantage in that regard. I think I think it was different. I definitely need to play it again. Uh, it is more plotting, more methodical. But in the combat, it's literally add up all the numbers of the offensive people, add up the numbers of the defensive people, 
and if the offense has more, they win. Whether or not I, I would prefer a little bit more complexity in that combat system to be determined, I think that's something I usually prefer, but it was it was not too bad. Not too bad. How did you like it as part of the IP? Like, are you a Dune fan? I have never read the books. I have watched Matt Koval's explanations on Dune, which I really enjoyed. Um, shout out to Matt Koval. And I've seen the movie. So that's about it. How did it compare to other Dune games you've played? I think the original Dune, well, the uh, the reprint, is still probably my favorite. Then Dune Imperium. Then maybe this one. Then maybe Dune, a game of conquest and diplomacy. Uh, then Dune Betrayal. Fair enough. <laughs> awesome. I'll, I would love to try that one sometime. This next section is Game of the Fortnite, where we hold one game above all others, at least for the next two weeks. And this Fortnite we are discussing... Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated, currently ranked number 26 on BGG. This game is designed by Andy Clautus and Paul Denon and was published by Direwolf in 2019. It's a campaign version of Clank set in the world of Acquisitions Incorporated, which is a series of podcasts, videos, and live games that began in D&D 4th edition in 2008. That last part I didn't know. I didn't know that Acquisitions Incorporated was an actual setting. Yeah, I actually <laughs> listened to their 2016 podcast series around the time we were playing this Legacy game, and it was pretty funny. Um, I That was the first actual play podcast that I got into, and I specifically started listening to it because I said, Hey, Michael, do you want to play Clank Legacy with me? And I figured I should at least know a little bit about the IP. I felt like you didn't need to know the world of Acquisitions Incorporated to enjoy the game. But I think it definitely adds a level when you know who the characters are and some of the situations and events and items and places. So this is a legacy game based on a pretty popular pretty popular deck-building, push-your-luck game, Clank. And I'm just going to go ahead and say up front that I'm not the biggest fan of Clank. I played it a handful of times years ago. But I can't remember the last time I've actually played regular Clank. But when uh, Jesse told me in the before times <laughs> <laughs> that he wanted to play Clank Legacy, I was like, okay, you know, whatever. I'd like to, I'd, I like playing games with my friends. And this was probably one of the more most fun gaming experiences that I have had. So in this, it takes place over a series of missions, and you are part of Acquisitions Incorporated. And the general idea, similar to Clank, is you're trying to collect these artifacts and then bring them back to the town. Uh, but it being a legacy games, there are other things that you could unlock through various waypoints on the maps. And uh, it adds some, you know, nice contracts that gives you a little bit of variety within this game. 
Those contracts allow the game to constantly evolve. When you fulfill one or reach a waypoint, you often get to access the Book of Secrets, which gives you some really interesting story and flavor text. A lot of times it's really funny, at least in my <laughs> opinion. Like, I felt like we were laughing a lot as we were playing this game. And lots of times it gives you some choices as well. So you might choose, like, oh, I'm going to be greedy and take gold, or I'm going to be uh, hurtful to the other players and give them damage. Yeah, one of the... One of the things that I like about this is, you know, Jesse mentioned the Book of Secrets. There is so much content to read, unlock, explore. It was hilarious. Well, I guess I'll just say it up front. We're going to go into spoilers here, so I'm not going to hold back. (laughs) I was thinking about doing a spoil-free section and going into spoilers further. But it's hard to talk about it for me without just mentioning spoilers. I mean, minor spoilers. No major plot points or anything, right? Major plot points? <sighs> Michael's giving you major plot points. Cover your ears. Cover your... Skip forward. <laughs> <laughs> to a time. Listed, maybe. <laughs> when you open up the box, you're going to see a mission report where you can write down your advent- each person's adventurer name, your actual name, and then the various scores throughout the game. There are ten spots on this sheet. But you can unlock additional missions, so that is, that is a cool thing. So you think you're going to do 10 missions? Nope, you can do more. Yes, you're writing down player scores, but there's also a column for the associate spotlights for completing special contracts in each of these different uh, games. And that's something that I really like. In regular Clank, it's all about getting the most points, and it's all about getting out. Which, it's, it's fine, it's fine, but... In this game, it's semi-cooperative because not only are you trying to get the most points, but there are waypoints around. There are There is a rival company that you're competing against. Uh, there are contracts you're trying to complete, so you're running around doing all these special things. And you are unlocking some really cool things that get added to your deck. And personally, you are completing goals that helps make you better. Compared to some other campaign or legacy games, this one does not feel like it has a runaway victor. Most of the benefits that you come across come in cards, which get added to the deck, which can come up for purchase later. Yes, if you perform better, you're going to complete more personal goals and therefore be slightly better. You mentioned that it's semi-cooperative, but ultimately it is competitive. Every episode or every game that you play has a winner, and also there is an overall winner for the campaign. I was not the overall winner for the campaign. I was also not the overall winner. But I think that the... Even though one of our friends won most of the games, and he got the associate spotlight a couple times... He ended up winning the game, and I didn't feel like the final game scoring was unexpected. I always... <laughs> in a legacy game, you want there to be no surprises at the very end uh, for <laughs> for how things are. One of my things that I did not like about the King's Dilemma, also spoilers for King's Dilemma, is how the final victor is, is calculated and determined in a brand new board game mechanic that has never been introduced in the game at all at the very, very end of the game. Look, man, I liked it, but maybe it's because I won. <laughs> <laughs> so so in The King's Dilemma, it is very, very unclear who's going to be the victor. But in this one, it, 
it felt pretty clear because the goals that you completed throughout the game also contributed to victory at the end. Absolutely. I really liked the progression of things in this game. I thought the stickers that we got to add changed things in a way that was meaningful and interesting. The board is double-sided, so some of your missions are above ground and some are underground, which I thought was really exciting. There was a lot to explore every time it felt like a slightly different game, which I think should be the goal of a legacy game. I also, like Michael, don't especially like Clank, but after playing Clank Legacy, I appreciate Clank a lot more, and I've also found my strategy has changed. I used to be an absolute coward when I played Clank. Like, I would go for the five-value artifact and then get out of there because I was so afraid that I would die underground. And now I'm like, why wouldn't I go for the 20-point artifact? And this game has a good story. Absolutely. This game has a good story that's not that hard to follow. Doesn't drown you in a bunch of text at the very beginning and at the very end of the game because you have the Book of Secrets. There's a lot of uh, a lot of it sprinkled in. There is a prologue and epilogue, as there should be, uh, to each game. But the story is told throughout. And the characters that you meet are well-written. Uh, there is... There is a good amount of opportunity for naming your characters, naming some towns, naming some cards. And of course, we are all very, very mature people here who named... <laughs> uh, Jesse's pointing at one of the map spots <laughs> for me. So right, because <laughs> we have our copy sitting on the table right in front of us. <laughs> I kind of want to make it into a shadow box. I think it would be really neat to have it like the completed game on the wall. But also it is a game that allows you to play through your final copy, which is completely unique. No one else has a board exactly like yours. So it is replayable, but not in the same way. I mean, it's a legacy game. I don't really have any desire to replay it in its final form. I did find the entire experience super enjoyable but uh definitely i mean i don't need to revisit it i i like the progression now that there's no progression left i'm not sure i need to to play a fancier version of clank <laughs> so i agree so with all that being said michael the real question is do you award clank legacy acquisitions incorporated the board game famous star of approval i michael devos do award it the board game famous gold star award and in case you're wondering david's going to vote on all of these whenever he gets back from paternity leave has he played this game no he hasn't played to it so he has to play it first oh so you're gonna have to go buy a copy and go play <laughs> that go yes. play a whole weekend yes that will be my <laughs> gift to him <laughs> uh but no i think this is one of the best legacy games out there period I would also award this game the Board Game Famous Gold Star Award because, like Michael said, it is one of the best, if not the best, legacy slash campaign games I've played. The only thing that I would say is even close in my books is Gloomhaven, and they are so completely different in terms of feel and style that they're even hard to compare to each other. Yeah, this is a little over 10 missions, and Gloomhaven can be dozens of missions so so it's very and they play completely differently so it's hard it's hard to compare oh yeah whenever we were playing this we started before the pandemic and then 
you know, everything went on a lockdown, so we isolated and we did all that, mm. and we were definitely itching to get back together to finish this game. Not just because we wanted to see each other, which we did, but because what was one of the first games that we played whenever we get back together? Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated. Super fun. Super fun. A great time. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. And our next section is brother talk but instead of david and i it's a brother from another mother jesse hey (laughs) and this fortnight we're talking about board game theme nights board games seem to have a multitude of themes everything under the sun seems to be being uh has been covered repeated ad nauseum and it you know i was getting to think Sometimes I just go over to my friend's place just to play board games. We just play whatever we want, you know, whatever we're being. It would be fun to have a board game theme night. So what kind of themes could you have and still have a variety of games being played? And what would those games be? So I came up with a few ideas. I told Jesse ahead of time and he came up with a few ideas. So I figure I talk about this and I'll lead off first with one of my themes and it has to be one of the most common ones that we see in board gaming. Trains. Mm. Trains. Choo-choo. Choo-choo. <laughs> and the this is a theme where you could play all of these games in a single day with a group. And my recommendation would be Brass Birmingham. A uh, game about the industrialization of England. Colt Express. A fun gunslinging western where you are programming your moves and then everybody execute them simultaneously and hijinks uh, uh, ensue as you're trying to get the most expensive loot on this train while the sheriff is after you chicago express a you know a classic um a classic stock game where you're investing in trains and building railroads to make yourself more wealthy because you can't have trains without a little bit of capitalism railroad inc because, you know, railroad right, drawn railroad paths. And then finally, Fury of Dracula. Is that a train game? It is because you can ride the trains and this is a hill that I'll die on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all the games I named, some of them do take a while. This would be a very long board game day, but <laughs> I thought that'd be pretty fun. That does sound like a good time, especially if you love trains. I thought it would be really fun to have a conservation theme with a focus on climate justice and protecting the species of the world and setting up healthy and positive ecosystems. So earlier I mentioned Arc Nova, which I think would fit really nicely into this, but also I thought it would be great to play Endangered, a game where you are rescuing a particular endangered species such as tigers, save the tigers. CO2 Second Chance, in which is a Vidal Lacerda game in which you are cooperating with a team to stop carbon dioxide pollution by 2050. 2040? 2040. Cascadia, which is a lovely tile-laying game in which you are trying to build a healthy ecosystem and positive habitat for many animals. And Three Sisters, a roll-and-write dice game in which you are trying to build a garden where you have pumpkins, corn, and beans growing harmoniously with each other. Those are a lot of games I have not played that I think I need to play. They might also be a little too long for one day. It might have to be a conservation weekend. (laughs) So what other themes do you have, Michael? I I was thinking 
I've noticed, you know, a couple of, a couple episodes ago, we talked about art, and I've realized that one of the topics, one of the styles that I gravitate to, are uh, games that have art inv- involving animals. So this is animals slash cottagecore slash cuteness slash <laughs> that kind of stuff. So for this board game weekend involving animals in some kind of way, Everdell, which we have talked about a thousand times, Meadows, which is a pretty fun game. I played it last Thanksgiving and I'm hoping to play it again soon. Uh, Tiny Towns, which is you're building a town for uh, woodland creatures to live in, in a nice uh, town. Isle of Cats, where you are rescuing polyomino cats (laughs) from this island before the Black Scourge of Death destroys the island and kills all the cats on it. Raccoon Tycoon, because what's what's a board game without a little bit of capitalism, even if if it's uh, not, even if it's animal capitalism. (laughs) Uh, You know, animals and cute little outfits and whatnot and then of course you can't go without talking about root great great set of games there i have not played raccoon tycoon yet though i'll have to try that sometime so my next entry would be a magic theme i mean what nerd does not love magic themed games i'm an old school dungeons and dragons kind of kid and i grew up wanting to be a wizard and so to indulge that fantasy i would play a themed board game night with summoner city which is a tile-laying game in which you are trying to build the best city to gain prestige, and it's constantly shifting because you use magic to do it, and your city is always being invaded by monsters. I would also put Seasons into there, which is one of my perennial favorite games, a dice-rolling game in which you are a magician who is competing to win the king's favor by performing the most interesting magic acts and acquiring artifacts and familiars. Archmage, which is on my shelf of shame. Can't say I've ever played it or know exactly what it's about, but the basic idea seems to be that uh, you are a fledgling mage who is gaining followers and training apprentices and sending them out to uh, compete with your fellow mages apprentices it seemed really cool i just haven't had a chance to get it to the table ever and then winter queen also on my shelf of shame uh (laughs) which i believe it's by the same designer as viceroy and you are a wizard trying to win the queen's favor with magic and jewels sounds like we need to have another board game night soon can we do a magic themed board game night (laughs) We can at least do do those ones that are on your shelf of shame. <laughs> so what else you got there, Michael? That's actually a really good idea for a theme. You just made me think of the shelf of shame oh! board game night. Oh, where you, where you where you bring your games you've never played. Everyone brings a game they've never played before <laughs> that they own. <laughs> I feel like I do that a lot. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I, I got I got one of those at least. <laughs> uh, so my my last board game theme, and one of these I have not played. David discussed it earlier, and I've been looking for a copy uh, at friendly local game stores as I go around. The theme is dice with an exclamation point. Ooh. It's just games that use dice in various ways, and so we have Sagrada game that I have played where you're making a beautiful stained glass out of different colored dice 
and you have to meet different rules on how you organize those dice so it can be as beautiful as possible. Then you have Quantum, where your dice are spaceships, and they roam around this abstract space. That one's pretty fun. Then you have Roll for the Galaxy, which is Roll for the Galaxy. <laughs> uh, it's an engine building game where you use dice as a resource and an action. Railroad Inc., because I just like Railroad Inc. And the game that I have never played before, but I want, Cubidos. All games that use dice slightly differently, but um, uh, definitely shows that Amer- Trash games can be fun. Love it. My last theme is a mystery theme. I've always loved a good Agatha Christie. And some of my favorite mystery-themed games that I would play on a mystery game night. First off, you have to wear a costume and use a fake name. I'm uh, Scarlet. Miss Scarlet. I'm Miss Scarlet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I would definitely put Chronicles of Crime first on the list. It is my absolute favorite mystery game. Detective, which is another mystery game kind of similar to Chronicles of Crime, but does not use an app in the way that Chronicles of Crime does. It's a really nice story-driven narrative game, but it has a lot of like crunchy time management components, which is kind of neat. Micro Macro Crime City, of course. We've never talked about that on this podcast. Nope. Only a thousand times. Uh, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, which is a another mystery game that's very like heavily text-based. Cryptid, in which you are trying to find one of the mysterious creatures of the world through logic and deduction. Mysterium, uh, another game that I think we've mentioned before, uh, I think you mentioned during the art episode recently, um, in which you're trying to solve the murder of your ghost friend uh, through logic and deduction and art. And Five Minute Mystery, another game on my shelf of shame. Very nice. I don't think any of those games are too terribly long. Yeah, but you can't do all of them in one night. You'd get burned out solving too many mysteries. Oh no, I'm a veritable Sherlock Holmes. I'll let you uh I'll let you imagine which version of Sherlock Holmes I am, but uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the Benadryl uh Cumberbund one. Uh as long as I get to be Watson. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have ideas for your own board game theme night? Why don't you post them in the Discord? Or you can email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com. Without musical accompaniment, this next section is mail time. Our question for mail time today is, what was your first board game love? Now, I got two answers for this. Right about the time that I was really getting into board gaming, I was, you know, I had grown up playing a lot of the traditional board games, and I was transitioning into more modern board gaming, but... The one that initially bridged that gap for me was Risk. And I say Risk, not because Risk is a great game, but because I played it a lot with some friends over the course of one summer, and then went out and bought Risk Legacy, went to college, tried to teach it to my friends. My friends were not interested. (laughs) We got through two or three games of Risk. (laughs) Risk Legacy, the original Legacy game, And I just thought that game was so cool, but even though I didn't finish it, I do remember that quite clearly where I was playing that game, who I was playing it with. Now, the one that is actually my love, no, long, long love, is definitely the game 
that I like the most, which is Scythe. Because I remember one of the listeners of the podcast, you know, a good friend of mine, asked me to pick it up because I was going to the big city and, you know, we were still in college at the time. And so I was up in the big city. I found a copy of it. I bought it. It was pretty expensive for some poor college folk, but uh, I got paid back. <laughs> uh and we tried to set up Scythe at my my house, realized that my table was not big enough, had to go <laughs> over to their house <laughs> just just so we could play it for the very first time. And nobody, we watched like how to play videos. This was like the first long game that I played and boy was I hooked. So from risk with simple rules and <laughs> way too long for what it is. To Scythe and actually understanding these more complex and unique mechanics that can arise in modern board gaming. That, that's got to be my two answers. My first board game love was when I was very young with my family. I loved playing Clue more than anything. And I would, after dinner, every night, go to my closet and get it out and put it on the table and say to my parents, What color do you want to be? And demand that they play Clue with me, which is the most basic logic deduction mystery type game that exists, but it exists for a reason. And I think for a young child, it's really satisfying and fulfilling to learn and understand how logic works and to solve that mystery of who murdered Mr. Body. Now that was like a puppy love kind of game, right? Because that's, I mean, it's, it's not a modern board game. And it was a great game, but my first love, my first serious love in the modern board game world was City of Horror. City of Horror is a zombie survival game for up to six players, which in which each player plays several different characters who are trying to survive a zombie apocalypse in a town. And this game was my first board game love because... One of the first times, I think the first time I went to board game night with some of my current friends about 10 years ago, this was the game that I got to play with them. And it was the first game I learned with that group. And one of my friends, like, I felt like he betrayed me at the end by withholding an antidote I needed for one of my survivors. And that survivor died. And I was like, oh, he betrayed me. And this is so great that we can be friends and I can betray him the next time. And I just fell in love with the idea of these modern games that are so much more complex and nuanced than the ones we grew up with. So never trust Jesse because he will be very, very excited to betray you. I am a loyal <laughs> servant of Arthur. I have a blue card. Uh. <laughs> I, actually, I, actually played, I actually played Clue for the first time in a long time earlier this year how was it not good <laughs> i mean the basic logic puzzle that it is is solid but the actions you actually take per turn is so slow <laughs> so slow so slow i just always wanted that mansion with a secret passage to the conservatory like how cool would that be like i'm in my living room but now I'm in the conservatory. I just want a conservatory. <laughs> I never knew what a conservatory was. And now you're an English teacher. <laughs> That's the whole thing. Thank you for listening to another episode of Board Game Famous. 
If you have any questions or you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com. Want to talk with us? Play some fun games? Hang out sometime? Not an actual person? I don't know some of you. <laughs> you can join our Discord. Link below. You can also follow us on Instagram. We post sometimes. Link below. Bye-bye now. Bye. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.